Good day. I'm Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host, and each episode we will interview a municipal or county leader who is in a position to share interesting and useful insights into local government. Our guest today is is probably one of the most credentialed guests we've had and we anticipate having because you can't get more credentialed than Bobby Green. Uh, Bobby Green was a Truman Scholar, uh, served in leadership positions within the FCCMA, was named by a citizen of the, when was the last time you had a citizen of the year who was a city manager, uh, also uh, had a division within the University of South Florida, a student chapter named after him. Bobby Green's been the city manager of the city of Armandale for almost 20 years. Bobby, thank you for being on the show. Glad to be with you. It's uh, quite an honor. You know, you, uh, Mr. Distinguished Alumnus of the Year from Polk State College, um, you, I think, earned most of those accolades, not just because you're a good city manager and a good government employee, but you do something a little different uh, with mentoring. You've really taken mentoring and uh, bringing people into your sphere to a, to a whole new level. Give us an intro about what that is and why you wanted to do that. Mentoring is just one of those things that helps someone learn more about your organization and your profession. And I've always saw it as my North Star to help facilitate that professional development of others. Um, There's many ways in which you can do that in your own organization, bringing people into your organization. And, And I've had the benefit of working with six assistants that have all gone forward uh, over my 30 years as city manager to develop and become city managers on their own throughout the nation. It's, it's very rewarding in that sense. So you bring them into your organization, train them, work with them, and then really set them back out into the wild. They know that there's that opportunity of three to five years, uh, depending as to where you come in. You may come in without your master's degree. We encourage you then to, to secure that while you're with us. Uh, and then once you get all of your uh, bells and whistles and get your ducks in a row, uh, we kind of suggest that it's time and uh, we help uh, so, you know, solicit those openings that are out there. I've always said good cities find good city managers and good city managers find good cities. And they also have the benefit is if they don't land that job, they've always got that opportunity of staying with us until they do. How does that how does that sit with your commission? Because, you know, a lot of times a commission would be focused on you just doing the work of the city. Do they see the benefit to the city in you bringing in folks, training them, working with them and then setting them out? Stephen, there was an interesting story probably after my second uh, assistant was encouraged to leave. I had a city commissioner go to my public works director and ask if I had an issue working with my assistants. Uh, not knowing that we had encouraged those assistants to move on. Uh, It wasn't long after that, that same city commissioner gave me high marks and evaluation for helping professional uh, advancement of my assistants. So their instinct was, hey, wait a second, does this guy have a hard time (laughs) keeping people on staff? And what they learned was, no, that's part of the program. Exactly. 
Well, what benefits to the city is there? Is, is it new blood coming in and having new ideas? Or, or what, what, what is the benefit to the city? When you turn to your commission and say, this is good for us because, what, what do you say? What they also see then is the latest and greatest coming out of the, uh, the colleges and the other organizations that then want to work for us. Uh, we get the, uh, the best, the cream of the crop. And then they know coming in the door that uh, I get the opportunity to learn from those assistants, uh, which I do. And then we see them advance and we realize that we've had the opportunity of those four or five years with one of the best assistants. And matter of fact, you can see that as they professionally advance into their next positions. And, and is it a two-way street where, you know, somebody who worked under your tutelage as an apprentice, as it were, uh, at the, for the city of Auburndale, and then they go over to, I'm just going to pick a random city, Melbourne, and they're working in the city of Melbourne. And then you find, I have, you have a challenge and you've got people you can call and say, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? Does it work both ways in that regard? Most certainly. We are in uh, weekly contact. Uh, and what's fun about that is there seems to have been this uh, fraternity, if you will, of those assistants. And we all stay in touch. And it's a problem solving whenever there needs to be problem solving. And then there's just a, a good get together when we all get together. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You 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 bring them in. They they help you. You help them. And it seems to be working for the city of Auburndale. I mean, you wouldn't have gotten those accolades if you were just barely hanging on and not not doing that kind of stuff. But it seems to help the city. Can you give us any thoughts about or any examples of how bringing in somebody new? You said, wait a second. This is a good new idea that you guys were able to implement. You know, mentorship in general is a great opportunity, and we do, and we don't do enough of it in the profession. But it's a great opportunity to bring someone into your organization that you can share, uh, you can coach, uh, you provide those opportunities for them to learn. Um, I call it getting them on the hook. Uh, and so often today. Uh, you know, the young person and, and citizenry in general know very little about what local government does, and they know even less about what a local government manager does. And a mentorship and employment opportunities, internships and the like, are a great way uh, for us to encourage and to get those young people, that next generation on the hook. Do, do you find, has you seen any changes over the last 20, 30 years in people coming out of school ready, ready to work? Is it better, worse, and, and are they more or less enthusiastic? You know, over the years, I've sat back and thought about that as to where there have been some changes. And I, I remember starting in 1991 as the manager here and, and coming on board and you would bring someone on and, and, and not that it was a lack of loyalty, but you would see it that they would think long term. Uh, you would see that in maybe their interest in retirement. Um, and now you turn around and uh, in the 401s and the 457s, it's become much more mobile. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's a different way of looking at it. Well, you know, old guys like us have to have something to keep us fresh, thinking about how do we adapt and change because... Uh, while you were elected to the city council, when you were barely eligible to vote, you've been in and around city government a long time. Um, you got to keep fresh new ideas. And I love this because it benefits 
the city with an infusion of new ideas, new concepts. It probably keeps you sharper. And then you have developed this network of people you can rely on when you're when you're facing a challenge. It's been very beneficial and, and, and to all parties. Uh, the city as a whole gets the benefit of that quality assistant. Uh, and I get the benefit of having that person sit next to me uh, that can give me the latest and greatest coming out of uh, their MPA program or their other opportunities that they've had in their lives. I'm a young person. Uh, I'm going to channel my inner young person. What, what advice would you give me? I'm, I'm interested in city government, and I sit down with Bobby Green. What does Bobby Green tell me? The first thing right out of the bat is you have to appreciate public service. Uh, it is what it is. It's service to the public. And if you get that understanding and you appreciate that, you're going to be fine because it doesn't matter if you're uh, in public safety, in the library, uh, an elected position, or a city manager. If you can find that satisfaction and service to the public and realize that you can make a difference, you're going to be a, you're going to be fine. So you giving up? You know, my dad went into public service. He, he worked on the railroad, and he, he said, you know, you get stability. Uh, and, and, and you get benefits as a trade-off. You're never going to be wealthy, but the wealth, I guess what you're saying, comes from, from doing good. You drive down a road, you see a rails to trails that was converted and people enjoying that park. Uh, I guess that, that, that's the payment you receive because there's no city manager going in for the big bucks. No. And, and, you know, you ask as to the most fulfilling part of my job. And I mentioned the fact of the uh, seeing others advance professionally, but what you just suggested that that idea of making a difference and seeing a project completed it, we just opened up some new youth baseball fields here in our community uh, they replaced 60 70 year old youth baseball fields of which i played on uh years ago and when you see that and, it, and it's not just uh maybe capital improvements like that infrastructure it may just be software upgrades or uh, better fiscal management. And when you see that you can make a difference and you have your hands on, you really do get that satisfaction. When you, when you synchronize the lights downtown with a new software system that gets the lights working and you see traffic start to flow a little better, it's the invisible service that you provide that people go, nobody realizes you did it. <laughs> nobody fully understands it, but suddenly traffic is flowing a little better. That's exactly. And, and those are the stories that we can do better at we to attract that next generation into our organizations and into our professions. You know, it's like, how can we expect that next generation to sign on with us if they don't know about us and know less about what we do? What's interesting is you've adapted because you're right back in the day, it was, I want to settle in with an organization. I want to stay with that organization for 30 years. But the world has changed. Um, the whole bowling alone concept, we're moving, we're more transient in our, in our physicality and in our jobs. What you're done with your apprenticeship slash mentorship program is you recognize that up front and say, hey, uh, come in here for a few years, learn here, then go there. And, and that seems to be the adaption that you guys have made to, to the changing world. You know, I look forward and I see, uh, you know, there were the 80 million or so baby boomers followed by the 40 million Gen Xs and then followed by that larger 84, 85 million group of millennials. And that youngest millennial, 24, is just now coming into the workforce. And, and, I, and I'm excited about that in the sense that 
there seems to be a lot of those traits that the millennials and the baby boomers share in the sense of of wanting to make a difference, wanting to see that satisfaction and knowing that you can do that. Uh, that gives me hope. That's really cool. That's really cool. So let's let's bring it close term. Uh, you know, we 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 boy, we're, we're interviewing this right at the end of 2020. Let's hope we never have a repeat of 2020. You know, cities have to keep going. Uh, other governments can suspend. You know, the legislature doesn't have to meet except to pass a budget. And, and they're going to change the way they do business. But you've got to keep the city. The lights have to change. The water has to flow. The trash have to get picked up with, with potentially declining budgets and new ways of working. What adaptations have you guys made in Auburndale to accommodate the pandemic? Starting off with after it came on, one of the first things that we uh, did was we wanted to make sure that our employees and our citizenry knew what we knew. Uh, you use your platforms to get the word out there. Uh, it's been tough on the uh, the recruitment, and we're talking about mentorships and the like. A lot of that kind of went to the back burner. Um, you know, students that started 2020 on campus, they were enthusiastic. They were active in their organizations. And then, boom, they find themselves at the end of the year, online structure, uh, possibly out of state, uh, and just unable to do that traditional participation. Uh, government offices, uh, you know, closed and there were cutbacks. Um, and, and in most cases, it just became harder to do that. But as a city, we have about 200 or so employees. We had 24, 25 or so positive tests in over the past year with about four or five hospitalizations of our employees. And in a smaller community, uh, there's a larger impact there because of work schedules. Uh, you know, it's just you, you pull that into your public safety department and you're trying to deal with shifts and um, it can make it very, very difficult. So we saw ourselves uh, doing a lot of changes as far as um, giving administrative leave early on, uh, in addition to all of those provided by law. Uh, this was so that in case we did have a shortage as a result of someone getting sick or positive or exposed, we could send them home, pull somebody else back in. And those things seemed to work. Did you have a lot more work at home kind of stuff, uh, people working through Zoom and, and other technologies? Not so much in our organization, but we were following other and larger communities that most certainly that became uh, some of a norm here during this past year. And so you, you were able to adapt through, through just a variety of techniques, letting people have the time off. But how do you still get the job done? I mean, because there's so much that goes into running a, a municipality. How did you, with people having to take off a little leave, how, did they just work from home a little more? Did just people, other people put in more overtime? How did you guys manage that? Our city actually just uh, fronted uh, two weeks of administrative leave and just said that in addition to all those other opportunities that might come from the CARES programs and the like, we're just going to give everyone two weeks and everybody had two weeks extra this year of which time off administrative approved. And that allowed us to kind of shift uh, our workforce uh, to pull people in when we needed and always still able to provide the level of service. 
Excellent. Excellent. So what do you, as you look at this next generation coming up, uh, you're, you're, you're looking them in the eye, even if it's across a, uh, a technology platform uh, online, what do you see in the future of the, the next generation of children, children, <laughs> kids coming out of college that you like? One of the things that this last year has taught us uh, and I think our citizenry as well, and I think it is a great recruitment uh, initiative, is that in a roundabout way, COVID elevated public servants, uh, especially at the local level, as being essential workers. Uh, we still pick up the trash. We still put out the fires and patrol the streets and provide quality water and sewer services and the like. And I just think that the next time that any of us are asked to speak, whether it's at high school or at, at a rotary meeting and the like, we need to remind uh, that audience of that fact, that your local government was still here to provide those essential services, making all of your employees essential services. Um, I really like what I see in the uh, next generation. I just think that we need to do more of that as far as onboarding and, and recruiting and the initiatives that are out there working with that next generation because they really are the ones that are going to follow us. My concerns, if we don't, uh, we'll see somebody will get the job, but will they be as prepared as they need to be? And at what point does that get into effect the the level of good quality governance. So our audiences, other city managers, city uh, employees, county administrators, what advice to them? You, you know, you, you, you are the Johnny Appleseed of mentorship, right? What, tell me, you're talking to them, you're, in, you're at a conference or whatever, you're saying, hey, you guys need to do this as well. What's the benefit to you? Why, what do you, what's your pitch? What's your elevator pitch for why the city manager of Crestview or whatever should engage in a mentorship program? If we expect the sustainability of the profession and to keep that level of service where we've got the sweat equity in there and we want to see the organization, we want to see the profession succeed. Um, you know, we have to sell ourselves and we really don't do a, a good job of that. Uh, a lot of times, you know, just in the, uh, the makeup of city manager, council manager form of government, we take that back seat. But I think there's some things that we can do in our own organizations and in our own uh, municipalities and in our profession, wherever we are, that can kind of help work that next generation into finding out about us and to get on that hook. I think you can engage your organization. Uh, one of the things that is so simple is taking a look within your organization at maybe your seasonal extra help. Uh, one of the things we do with our summer camp uh, counselors and our lifeguards set up like a sales meeting. We want them to learn about our organization, not just that summer job. It may be that lifeguard that becomes a firefighter and it may be that camp counselor that becomes an assistant city manager. The city of Tallahassee's um, uh, Parks and Rec person came up through that exact that exact channel. So what you're saying is excellent. This mentorship isn't just going on the outside, bringing them in, but sometimes people from inside can be brought up through that as well. Exactly. And then you mentioned earlier the ICMA student chapters. Uh, the USF student chapter at South Florida was the state's first. And now I believe we've got them throughout the state in the university programs. And I know that the struggles that they faced this past year with the pandemic, 
But I think there's an opportunity that if we are close to those universities, just in locale, uh, participate, uh, engage them. You know, they may have a capstone project that they need to work, and you may have that project and some research that you need in your organization. And it just helps to benefit both of those parties um, around the state, the MPA programs, the undergrads, they're already in the pond. Uh, they just need to get on the hook. And if we see that and appreciate that, I think that's a great source of uh, reaching out to that next generation is right there in front of us. And what I really like what I'm hearing, too, is because cities have to adapt, not just through the pandemic, through tax changes, tax on home rule, uh, uh, changing technologies, whether it's ride share or whatever, you have to constantly adapt. Cities cannot sit still because that's where rubber literally, not figuratively, but literally meets road, right? And by bringing in these younger folks, you get that new infusion of energy, that new infusion of ideas. They took a class on, you know, applying new technologies to whatever. You get to get the benefit from their energy and their new ideas. So it's not a one-way street. You're really learning from them and then you build this incredible network throughout the state. And, a, and an old tool in our toolbox that we also don't focus enough attention on is just succession planning. Uh, you know, we should look into our organizations and identify those positions that are so critical uh, that, you know, if that person left, he or she, it may take three months or so uh, to fill that position. And can your organization... Uh, provide the quality level of service during that interim period. Uh, succession planning is a great way of looking into your organization, planning for the future, and giving a roadmap uh, that then allows that person to see how they can professionally advance up through your organization. Right. And the other advantage there is you force cross-training. One, one of the problems with a lot of organizations, they become siloed, but if there's a planned vacancy in, in Unit A, Unit B has to pick up and then you get better cross-training and then you give your employees the opportunity to see larger functions within the organization, not just be the person who pushes paper from column A to column B and be done with. And one last note on just uh, some initiatives to, to help that cause and a suggestion to all of our, my colleagues is to where we all have some very unique stories. Uh, you can get in and, and in front of that, I mentioned Rotary, uh, you can get into any of your church groups, uh, just any audience that you can. And if you start sharing some of the personal stories that you've got, uh, self-reflections on the profession and, and the job that you have, you'll start encouraging. Uh, somebody out there is listening and they're going, you know, that might be my career path. I would like to try to do that. But here again, they don't get exposed unless we expose them to us. Well, what, you, what I'm hearing, too, is you can't just be the city manager sitting at your desk. You've got to be thinking at a meta level, M-E-T-A, a meta level about management, about the profession, about uh, municipalities. Um, so before I let you go, uh, tell me, we, one of the things we do on this podcast is you know, promotion for your city. What's one cool thing uh, that we don't know about Auburndale? The Centrax test facility has just opened uh, this past year in Auburndale. It's a two and a quarter mile test track of autonomous vehicles. Um, the Florida Department of Transportation through their Turnpike Enterprise 
has set up that facility in Auburndale. Uh, it allows other entities to use the test track for autonomous vehicles and the like. And one of the things that DOT is testing currently at the site is how autonomous vehicles work with their toll systems. They're also using the 200 acre infield <laughs> uh, to develop what I call a SimCity type of a, of a facility there to test the autonomous vehicles uh, as they come up to high buildings, pedestrian crossings, in all kinds of weather conditions and the like. It's pretty unique. We're very glad to have that in Auburndale as well. One final note uh, on management, since 1949, I guess that would be 71 years, Auburndale's only had four city managers. That's crazy. That's 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 a really interesting statistic. The um, funny, I use the the metaphor of rubber meeting road, but literally, you guys are where rubber meets road on technology and uh, bringing in autonomous vehicles into our communities. Come visit us. Very cool. Thank you very much. I'm Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City County Management Association. I'm your host, and you heard from the award-winning, well-recognized, the Bobby Bowden of city managers, as it were, as I, as I show my little bit of my Florida State uh, stripes. Uh, Bobby, thank you so much for being with us. Go Knowles.